Dunkin' Refreshers are the perfect way to get a little more out of your day. With more tropical flavors like new mango pineapple and more ways to get glowing. Available with green tea, coconut milk, or lemonade. You've got what you need to make the most out of every moment. Even the ones spent stuck in traffic. <sighs> what a beautiful day. Sip into all your favorite Dunkin' Refreshers, like new mango pineapple. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Additional charges may apply. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one dollar. Text the word grade to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn to read program that kids love to use. Text grade to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed. Text grade to 323232 right now and get started for just one dollar. Text grade to 323232 now. Text grade to 323232. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All-Hit Radio! Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Do you believe in love at love? I can feel something And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. Uh, we're going to be talking about crop circles this hour with our special guest, Bert Janssen. And uh, Dutch native Bert Janssen is an award-winning author, researcher, and motivational entertainer. His interest in the power of shapes, form, harmony, and geometry has led him into the mysterious world of quantum science, crop circles, and sacred sites. He travels all over the world to study, photograph, and lecture on these subjects. 
Uh, he has produced three award-winning documentaries and authored three books. Two of the books are on Crop Circle and the Crop Circle Enigma. His third book, the novel Sophie's Egg, is a fascinating story about the main character, Paul, and his discovery of self-realization. Now, Paul, like Bert, utilizes the messages of crop circles in Wiltshire, England, to do, uh, to dive deep into the great mysteries of humankind. Now, joining me from the Netherlands is Bert Janssen. And Bert, welcome to the X-Zone. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be there. Where did your interest in crop circles come from, Bert? Mm, that, that's, a, that's actually a long story. I was always very interested in frontier sciences, and actually crop circles was not part of that. It was not until 1994 that I came across a really strange event with a crop circle in Holland, which was actually right. a strange coincidence that I thought, I need to research this further. And since that time, I have not gone away anymore from it. Are we any closer to understanding the significance of a crop circle, who's making a crop circle, why crop circles are being created than we were 10, 15 years ago, Bert? Yeah, in a way, I think we, we actually are a little bit closer. And it's not that we are closer, we are actually, we have um, uh, crossed off a few options, for me at least. I crossed off a few options. When I came to the crop circles, mm -hmm. it was a wide open field. And bit by bit, I came to the realization that we humans are really closely involved in it. And I'm not saying that's with boards going into the field, but somehow on a subconscious level, we have a huge connection to this phenomenon. And that I didn't know 15 years ago. So yes, we do get closer, even though I cannot really give you answers why and how it happens. Is there a connection between crops circles and UFOs. Yeah, there has to be because lots of, of strange things have been witnessed. I myself, myself have seen balls of light flying over fields. You can call that a UFO. Mm -hmm. For me, Myself, I don't think really that it is um, beings from other planets doing it. If it's something to do with UFOs, it's actually very close. It could be another dimension, but it's very close to us. It's much closer than we think. Paul, uh, I'm sorry, Bert, you and I have to take a commercial break. Please stand by. Exonation. Bert Janssen is our special guest to this hour. His website, www.bertjansen.com. That's B-E-R-T-J-E-N-S-S-E-N. Dot NL. Don't forget, Exonation, this coming February 17, 18, 19th, I am the Master of Ceremonies at the Body, Soul, Spirit Expo being held at the International Center, 6900 Airport Road in Mississauga. For more information and to find out how you can become an exhibitor, if there are any booths left, give uh, contact Chandler through the website www.bodysoulspiritexpo.com. Dot com. Also, the September 11 tribute edition of the X Chronicles newspaper to 9-11 will be published online starting September the 5th. And if you'd like to get some great advertising opportunities that are still available, there's not many left. Len McGuire and I had lunch together today and he told me there's only a couple of full-page ads left. Send me an email, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com and I'll pass it over to Len. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break. In two minutes with my special guest, Bert Janssen, as we keep on talking about crop circles and his new book called Sophie's Egg. We'll be back. Don't go away.
Back in Victorian England, a famous theologian posed a perplexing riddle. Why are the two top personalities in the Bible tagged with the numbers 7 and 11? Academics agree the answer is found in the stunning discovery of a hitherto secret Bible structure explained in a new book called The Genesis Grid. The discovery is so simple that preschool children could illustrate it. Certain claims are hugely controversial and may offend some, but at the X-Zone, we've studied this awesome new book and agree with one expert, and I quote, These discoveries appear to be beyond coincidence. So who or what hid this wonderful pattern in the Bible and what might they do next? Find out more, X-Zone Nation, and read reviews on www.genesisgrid.co.uk. That's www.genesisgrid.co.uk. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnick's, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologist, Facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Nation, we're talking to Bert Janssen uh, this hour in the Netherlands about crop circles, amongst other things. We're going to be talking to uh, Bert a little later in this hour about his new novel entitled Sophie's Egg. If you'd like to visit uh, Paul uh, Bert's website, it's bertjansen.nl. That's B-E-R-T-J-E-N-S-S-E-N.nl. You're probably saying, why are you calling Bert Paul? Well, because in his book, his character is Paul, and it's closely related to him and it i'm sorry about that bert <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah it happens it does and i i apologize for that listen listen bert yes. uh all crop circles truly have intriguing uh, shapes even the ones that are spoofed uh, by people using planks is there anything we can learn from the real crop circles yeah um the shapes that you're just talking about, I think that is actually the phenomenon. It's um, it it digs very deep into your mind 
Mm-hmm. And you're even not even aware of it. Um, Carl Gustav Jung, the psychologist of Switzerland, has done a lot of research what shapes do to humans and how that works the other way around, how we actually produce shapes if we try to express ourselves on the deepest level. He had all kinds of patients that he would paint, tell them paint because they couldn't talk, they were too depressed, and he would paint after a while all these strange shapes that very much resemble crop circles. So it's the shapes of the crop circles that for me are containing the message. But the big problem is we cannot always see that on a conscious level. We have just to trust it. So in your opinion, uh, Bert, after researching crop circles uh, for as long as you have, is there a connection between crop circles and sacred geometry? Oh, yeah, that connection is really, really there. I think, actually, that sacred geometry and crop circles are about the same. In, in early days, we had a lot of time, so what we would do was we would build cathedrals and we would use a lot of sacred geometry mm-hmm. building these cathedrals. Nowadays, we are so uh, sped up in everything that we have no time anymore, so we have now temporary cathedrals. But the geometries used in crop circles are identical to the cathedrals. And that's one of the reasons why I think there has to be a really strong connection to us, to our way of thinking, of our way of looking at the world and experiencing the world. Yes, the geometry is the thing in crop circles. Bert, is there any connection or common thread when it comes to the appearance of crop circles and what is going on in the world? For example, uh, during an invasion time, are there more crop circles? During a, a, a catastrophic event that shakes the very earth, and live? for example, the tsunami in Japan, are there more crop circles that are formed or is there no correlation whatsoever? I personally have not found any correlation between disasters happening or big events happening and crop circles. You have, of course, to realize that crop circles only appear in crop and that crowing season is only in the summertime. So if something happens in wintertime, you will not have a crop circle responding to it. Although many people have seen relations between, let's say, sunspots and crop circles, I have never seen a real strong correlation between big events on Earth mm-hmm. and crop circles. How come there's never been a crop circle that has been found in the sand? Because I would imagine it would be very simple to form a pattern in the sand as it would, you know, in, in a crop field. Yeah, it, it can be that they have appeared actually, um, but then that will disappear very quickly in sand and crop it will stay much longer, the whole growing season. Mm-hmm. In Holland, we have seen a few formations in snow. Yes. And that's very rare. And the only reason I can come up with is that crop has a really um, specific feature that is that the crop you can lay in certain directions. So you can put another layer of information in crop, which you cannot do in sand. Sand just makes the outer shape, the silhouette. Mm-hmm. While the crop circle, the crop, the flow of the crop, when you go into a crop circle, you will know what I'm saying, can be so different from one crop circle to the next to the next. And there's some point there, some information that we have. We're still overlooking. We're not really understanding. When doing an investigation into the phenomenon of crop circles, um, I'm I'm sure that there have been studies, scientific studies and investigations into how the crop circle has affected the plant itself. Uh, What kind of changes are there in the plant's biology once a crop circle has been made? 
Yeah, there are some changes there. Um, the notes and knuckles of the plants many times are bent or they're even mm -hmm. blown from the inside outwards. Um, seeds, if you take seeds out of crop circles, they will uh, show a different growth pattern than the seeds of the standing crop. So there's a lot of anomalies in the crop and I have studied that for a number of years and then I realized that that actually was not the right question to ask, not how it happens. That's actually not what's so interesting for me anymore. For me, it's much more interesting now why it happens. Why are they there? It's a little bit like reality. I'm not interested anymore how reality works. Mm -hmm. I'm much more interested in why reality is there, actually. All right, so tell me, Paul, based on your research, why are there crop circles? <laughs> it's Bert, but... You, Bert, that's I did it again. <laughs> you did it again, yes. Um, I think that somehow... Um, we are involved and we're helping ourselves actually. Mm -hmm. So um, what, what happens is that we have all these problems or we have all the questions, we have big questions, small questions, and somehow the crop circles are answering our questions. It's not that you walk in and you get a straight answer, but when you pay attention to the world around you, you yeah. will see that things shift according to actually you want the world to shift. So somehow it helps us to do that, to shape the world. Now but, it's up to us to shape it in the correct way. But Bert, how can we say they're giving us answers if we can't understand the message? Could they be giving us some other information instead of answers? Uh, could it just be a, a phenomenon that has nothing to do with a com an intelligent communication? Yeah, it can be. I cannot really guarantee you that that's not the case. And I even don't know exactly what the communication is, but right. there is a communication. It's like a little bit like the Coca-Cola logo. The Coca-Cola company has done a test by putting the logo in a piece of movie, really one frame, so you cannot really see it on the conscious level. And it would show that, that segment of movie to people um, and another segment without a frame in it. And then they would look at the people who saw the frame what are they going to do in the break? And the people who didn't see the frame. And it turned out that the people who did see the frame on a subconscious level would order lots of Coca-Cola. They had no idea why they were doing it, but somehow the little frame that was there, the little segment mm -hmm. that they didn't even see on the conscious level, forced them to buy Coca-Cola. Now, this is not allowed anymore, but it showed how powerful shapes are. So are you saying that, in fact, the crop circles could be giving us subliminal messages? Yes, yes, I actually, they do. The, the big question is, of course, who is behind it? And I strongly believe that we are closely involved. But yes, I'm very much convinced that there are subliminal messages in the crop circles. Any idea what the messages are? No, not really. I, the only thing I can do is look at myself, what has happened in my life. And um, what has happened mainly is that I'm now much closer to the path in my life that I want actually to do than I used to be. I used to be uh, managing a company. It was actually, I was owning the company. It was very business-like, but that was not really me. And it took the crop circles to show to me, Bert, that's not you. You need to do something else. You need to do something with your creativity. You need to write, make photos, make documentaries. That is why you're here, not to be a businessman. Does it matter what kind of crop the crop circle is made in? For example, are crop circles made in one specific type of crop? 
No, not not really. Even though um, half of the crop circles worldwide appear in England, and in England the main crop which you see there is uh, wheat. Right. So you will see most crop circles in wheat, but they, in early season you will see them in barley. Uh, this year I saw a few in oats, sometimes in soybeans. Hmm. I've seen them in potatoes and carrots. So it's it's not only only cereal crops, but since that's the majority of crops, then yes, they appear most in wheat. Is there any country on this planet that has crops, that is, that crop circles do not appear in? Yeah, actually many countries. Um, it's very strange when you look at uh, the countries that do have crop circles. Mm -hmm. They tend to be all at the same latitude. At least in Europe, it's a latitude of between 49 and uh, 52nd. Uh, parallel. I don't know, parallel, you call that. In, in America, it's a little lower. It's actually at the, at the latitude more of uh, where Ohio is. Mm -hmm. But they tend to stay on these latitudes. So when you go more south in Europe to France, you will hardly see any. The big exception is actually Italy, where since a year, eight years now, crop circles keep popping up. And that's actually an exception to that rule. But for the rest, they stay on this one latitude. Is there a difference in the type of crop circle that is formed from one country to the next? Yeah, I think so. There's actually a, a cultural influence somehow. I can see and there used to be a lot of crop circles in Germany and they looked really different than the ones that appeared in England. Oh. And those look again different than the ones that appeared in, in Italy. So there, there seems to be a correlation between the people living in a certain country and the shapes that pop up. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. How does the scientific community look at crop circles? Are they taking them seriously? Yeah, no, of course not, because it's, it's, it's something that has not really good answers and it's very far away from traditional science. Mm -hmm. And to bridge a big cap, that's really difficult for scientists. They, they are used to taking really small little steps to take a giant leap. That's very difficult for them. So they stay away from it. But somehow sometimes they get involved like richard taylor he's from oregon he's yep. a professor and he just published a paper in which he states that uh, the bending of the notes he can do now with a mobile microwave i thought that's interesting not that the microwave that it's doable but that the mm -hmm. guy takes the time to write about it that's good news all right, uh, Bert, please stand by. You and I have to take a commercial break. We'll be back after the news. Exonation, Bert Janssen is our special guest. www.bertjensen.nl is his website. He's also the author of a uh, novel entitled Sophie's Eggs, where we're going to be talking about Sophie's Egg, 
when we come back from this news break. My name's Rob McConnell. This is the X-Zone. We'll be back after the news. Don't go away. I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings, slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From Out of the Woodwork will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www.williamspeckham.com. Have you exhausted all traditional means of healing without success? Are you experiencing communications through ghosts, angels, or even extraterrestrials and want to validate these experiences? Or would you simply like to speak with someone who can help you find your life's purpose? I'm Dr. Joseph Mara, and I'm offering my services to humanity at this time through consultations. These consultations include angel card readings, guided meditations, life coaching, and energy healing. If you desire clarity of what may appear to be unexplainable phenomenon, then contact me through my website at a guiding light spelled L-I-T-E dot com to schedule your consultation today. Until then, I offer you love, light, and laughter. You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network. X-Zone Broadcast Network. UK High Definition Radio. Euro High Definition Radio. And Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www. .exoneradiotv.com
Exo Nation. Um, Ron Frost is my special guest this hour. We're talking about Ron's new book. It's entitled Religion versus Science, Where Both Sides Go Wrong in the Great Evolution Debate. His website is ronfrost.com. And uh, his book, Religion versus Science, is available on Amazon.com. All right, so we've got a, we've got the scientists who are saying, look, if you can't touch it, if you can't feel it, if you can't hear it, if you can't see it, it just doesn't exist. Poof. So I would imagine that there are certain religious factions that really irritate the scientific community. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the young earth creationists, for example, mm-hmm. we, we just sort of ignore because, well... Their attitude is, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Which means you should not even bother discussing the matter with them. Um, But, as I try to point out in the book, and I've tried to point it out earlier, a literal interpretation of the Bible is historically not the way the Christians interpreted the Bible, Mm -hmm. and it is a, a view of religion that's occupies only a very small fraction of the big spectrum of Christianity. You know, I've offered this to many guests on the show, and I'd like to get your feedback on it. How would the Bible have been written if it was, if the same events that happened in biblical times that were recorded in the Bible happened today with our knowledge of science, physics, astronomy, and all the other disciplines that we have learned since the time of the writing of the Bible. My question is, would the Bible even exist? Well, that's a, that's a good question, because the, the Bible essentially is a history of a series of tribes mm-hmm. in, uh, in Arabia, and superimposed upon it are all these other little, little legends and, and myths and everything. But the Bible also... Is trying to illuminate some spiritual depth, mm-hmm. spiritual reality. Um, so I suspect that they would rely less upon, let's say, the fact that the earth was formed in seven days, right. because that's all the information they had at the time, and they would incorporate the scientific aspects to it, but they would also say there's a spiritual aspect that we have to understand as well. So, yeah, it'd be very different. Uh, what we're doing is we're interpreting, or what a lot of young earth creationists are doing, is interpreting the Bible as solid fact. Whereas throughout history of uh, early Christian theology, it was allegory. This is exactly what uh, St. Augustine was saying when he said it's embarrassing when people teach it as science, solid fact. It would almost seem that um, religion is one way to go about buying into immortality. That could be. Uh, It's... We have this very interesting problem with religion in the fact that... uh, all religions have started from people who've had mystical insights. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they're trying to impart those insights into their dis- disciples. Right. And uh, if 
if you don't have the insight but you follow the ritual, then is the ritual going to make you any holier than if you didn't participate in the uh, religion at all? Uh, This is sort of the view I have from Buddhism where they say, just sit and experience it. You know, don't interpret it, just have the experience. And the, uh, there's no dogma to explain the experience. What are your thoughts on dreams then and, you know, simple day-to-day spiritual experiences that people may feel if it's not real according to the scientific community? How do we rationalize its its reality to those who would rather live in a world of spirituality than scientific um, scientific logic. That's a, that's a good question. One of the interesting things about science is that scientific insight involves creativity. Mm-hmm. And creativity involves something, I would say, is spiritual. Something right. goes on in your consciousness. You can't measure creativity. No. You can't. And, and so at the same time, we have people saying science is a study of the phenomenal world. If we can't measure it, can't see it, it doesn't exist. But at the same time, they rely upon creativity to understand or to take their data and turn it into theory. So you're so, damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. <laughs> well, what they're doing is they're belying their own statements. Right. Do you see the do you see society as it stands now, with an with an open requirement for philosophies that that would that could be classified as theological philosophies? Do we need do we need theology in today's society? Oh, I think we definitely do. Uh, I think that uh, when you look at um, the cold and I won't say quite inhuman, but mm-hmm. automatic, automatons, that is visualized from a lot of the scientific writing. Right. That we need to soften that. I mean, one of the reasons I can see that this book came up to me, one of the reasons why I wrote this book, is to, realize, to make the argument that these fellows who are saying that science proves atheism are just completely wrong that science can be totally compatible with religion, as long as religion is based upon, let's shall we say, empirical experiences rather than some old dogma. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have, have debates between, huge debates between Jews and Muslims and, uh, and Christians, but if you look at the, the mystical writings in each of those religions, they're almost exactly the same. That's right. That's right, and even when you look at Greek mythology and put it side by side with Christianity, there are so many similarities. For example, in Greek mythology, the gods lived atop Mount Olympus. In Christianity, God lives in heaven. In in uh, Greek mythology, Hercules, the son of a god and the son of a mortal. You know he you know he had superhuman strength and was able to do unbelievable things, just like Jesus Christ could walk on water, cure the ill raise the dead. And and you look at all these different philosophies as well as mythologies 
And you know what? It's amazing we've come this far without going crazy. Yeah, because um, someone happens to accept one mythology mm-hmm. and then considers everything else as myth. Yeah. I mean, I think myth is actually a really important part of life because it's, it's a way to try to express to people realities that are cannot be described directly but have to be symbolized. And uh, so the fact that all religions seem to come from the same experience, mm-hmm. but they develop a whole bunch of different ideologies, is sort of telling us a lot about how human minds work. Certain cultures will emphasize one aspect of the experience, and other cultures will emphasize another aspect. As, as in any any topic or anything on this planet that we know so far, there's always a beginning as well as always an ending. Those who are very interested and are hard believers in theology, the evolution, the beginning, the Big Bang theory, uh, the controversies that have been going on for decades, there's also those same people who believe that the end is imminent and that, you know, the world is going to come to an end. You've got the age of apocalypse and, you know, the end of the world procrastinators. If they are so, if they're so diehard in the creation, why are they also so diehard in the destruction, the end? Well, again, it's, it's the adherence to the myth that, uh, you know, at some time in the future, mm-hmm. Jesus will be back. It'll be the final judgment. The holy people will rise to heaven, and the rest of the people will suffer on earth or go to hell. Right. Uh, but, you know, they've been predicting this since the year 1000. Yeah. And it hasn't happened yet. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. I certainly don't know an answer to that, and fortunately I didn't work on that aspect in the book. But, yes, there's a definitely a whole bunch of millennia people there who sort of think that the uh, um, the end of the day, the final days are coming. That's right. In fact, there, there are more and more people jumping on the bandwagon that the world is going to come to an end on December the 21st, 2012, <laughs> at the end of the Mayan calendar. You know, and the funny part is, is that the Mayans say, we never said that. Yeah, they said, well, I don't think we have to go any further, so we'll just stop there. Yeah, or, or as one Mayan elder told me, he said, Rob, it's just like New Year's, the New Year's Eve in your household or New Year's Day. You take the old calendar down, you put the new one up. But nobody talks about the positive aspect of that. Everybody wants to live on the doom and gloom side, which I think is totally silly. But that's just me. What is your interpretation, then, of the Tree of Life? Well, oh, that's um, a uh, a very solid um, mythical image, right? Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's, it's both a mythical... We've got the tree of life in terms of biological aspects. Yes. In other words, we can we can show how there's a uh, um, oh a commonality in DNA and biological processes that go from bacteria to to uh, um, single-cell organisms to, um, to humans, eventually, mm-hmm. and there's different sprouts that have come off of it. You know, the tree of life is also a, a mystical thing that uh, 
trees tend to be um, things that uh, unite heaven and earth. Right. And, you know, the crucifixion of Jesus is considered an example of the tree of life. Or, and the uh, enlightenment and the Buddha take place under the Bodhi tree, which is another example of this tree that is a mystical thing that's essentially uniting the holy aspects of humans with mm-hmm. the most animal aspects of humans. So, yeah, which tree of life would you like me to talk about? Well, you know, when we talk about the tree of life, most people, uh, you know, think about the the tree in the Garden of Eden, where with the serpent and tempting that Eve. Is another example of that tree of life, yeah, right? Exactly. That's that's essentially uniting us, or, or uniting the the ground, which is our basal human uh, existence, mm-hmm. or uh, I should say emotions, with heaven, which is our most noble human emotions. And I, uh, what should we say, a person who would read the Bible as analogy would say that when we bit into the fruit, mm-hmm. or when Adam bit into the fruit of the tree of life, he recognized the, he essentially became self-aware. The difference between humans and almost any other animals, as far as we can tell, is the humans are self-aware of what's going on. And that's, of course, the reason why they suddenly realize they were naked. Uh, and he, so the, the um, well, Adam and Eve story is often uh, considered an analogy of humans going from essentially an animal state where they didn't recognize mm-hmm. that they died and that they were essentially... Um, part of this existence to becoming self-aware when they ate the apple. So could it be uh, that the missing link that everybody, uh, that many members of the scientific and paleontology, uh, you know, those who study paleontology are looking for in our humanoid uh, uh, development is actually the tree of life? Well, it's interesting because paleoanthropology has become really, really uh, rich field. Yeah. And it, it looks like, um, oh, from about a million years ago onward, a whole slew of different species of hominids developed, only one of which became us. Stand Another by, Ron. Would, Ron, Ron stand be, by. Uh, We've got to take our commercial break. Uh, we'll be back talking okay. about this. So Ron Frost, thanks very much for joining us. Very interesting hour, Ron. Ron's the author of Religion versus Science, Where Both Sides Go Wrong in the Great Evolution Debate. His website is www.ronfrost.com, and his book, Religion versus Science, is available at Amazon.com. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break. Don't go away. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. 
We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. A hundred days have made me older Since the last time that I saw your pretty face A thousand lives have made me colder And I don't think I can look at this the same But all the miles that separate Disappear now when I'm dreaming of your face I'm here without you, baby But you're still Exxon uh, Nation, Ron Frost is our special guest. As I've been telling you for the last hour, he's the author of Religion vs. Science. His website is www.ronfrost.com. His book is available on Amazon.com. First of all, Ron, thanks very much for being with you. It's been a great hour, a very interesting hour. And um, what would you like to leave the members of the Exxon Nation with tonight? Oh, that's a deep question. Well, I, I think that what I'd like them to realize is that science and religion are not competitive. Mm-hmm. They're complementary ways of viewing the world. And if you really want to be a full human being, you have to understand both of them. Where do you see uh, us... In the future, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and it dawned on me that everybody's talking about the going into the new age, the the evolution of humanity. Is it possible that we're at that point in our evolution, our development, that we are now the larvae or the caterpillar that is getting ready to come out of the cocoon to to continue our to continue our quest in this dimension on this planet? Oh, that's a deep question. One of the things that Tehart put forth is precisely that, is that once the human beings uh, evolved Mm self-consciousness, that evolution took place, or takes place, on the cultural level, not on the biological level. And so that basically what what our next step in the future would be would Mm -hmm. be actually evolving better way to become spiritually uh, enlightened. You know, in other words, a society that's more enlightened to spiritual aspects Mm -hmm. of life than the material aspects. It seems that the spiritualist has turned into the philosopher, and the scientist has turned into the realist. Well, that could be. Uh, I think that there's a certain amount of humility that one has to have when one's working in this game. Mm-hmm. And, and scientists just have to have the humility to realize that what they're working on is only a certain part of the phenomenal world, and that there's other aspects that science can't, can't deal with. You know, they might be able to do, deal with it in the future, mm-hmm. but right now they can't. 
And the only other way you can get access to those aspects is to have some sort of a spiritual practice. Ron, unfortunately, we've run out of time for tonight. I do want to thank you ever so much for joining us. It's been a very, very informative hour. I certainly have enjoyed my hour talking with you, and I look forward to the next time you join us back here in the Exxon. Congratulations with your book, a great book. I wish you much success. Thank you. I appreciate that. Exonation Ron Frost has been my guest this hour. Religion versus science, where both sides go wrong in the great evolution debate. It's available at Amazon.com. And for more information on Ron, visit his website, www.ronfrost.com. And Ron is a professor at the Department of Geology and Geophysics at the University of Wyoming in Laramie. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues right here from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Six and a half minutes past. We're back. Don't go away. <laughs> 